Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And so that we were married three years ago. We had set the date. And frankly, once the date was set, we started really seriously taking steps to build our family. We're sitting there and it's all happening. And before you know it, there is a, a little tiny baby and he cries out for the first time. I want our son to be proud of his gay dad. I want him to know where he fits in history. Hello everyone and welcome to Some Families. We are so happy to be in your ears today wherever you might be. I am Lotta Jeffs. And I am Stu Oakley. Hello. We are here today. We are on our favourite video conferencing app. As I do believe, Lottie, that the lockdown restrictions state that a lesbian and a gay should not be in a room with a mic and a bottle of wine at this time. Yes, we can't see each other's faces IRL, but we are enjoying each other in our quiet little man and woman caves. So Stu, how has your week been? What's been going on for you? Week's been good. We've been getting prepped for Father's Day. It is Father's Day week this week, so very excited for that. What will you be doing? I just hope that the kids treat us really and that I get breakfast in bed and I get a bottle of champagne and I get pampered. But seeing as the eldest is only four, I don't see that happening just yet and I might have to wait a few more years. I, I've been thinking about how we do Father's Day as well, because listening to how some of our community do Mother's and Father's Day, I find quite interesting. For example, I love that some people celebrate Mother's Day, one on the UK day and one on Australia day to kind of split it out. And I'm kind of leaning towards that a little you bit. You just basically want your own day, don't you? I do. I don't want to share it with the hubby. I'm considering doing <laughs> split I believe Australia's Father's Day is sometime in September so I might be like I might I might coin that as my own day I get that so Lottie anything that you've been up to that's exciting or new well funny you should mention that Stu I ended up on the front cover of the Times supplement which I was not expecting a few weeks ago. And so I'm still kind of reeling from that, to be honest. I'm on the front cover of The Times saying, maybe your relationship isn't gay enough. What you can learn from me and my wife. In a pair of killer fucking heels as well, I might add. Yeah, I won't lie. I made a bit of an effort. 
and then yeah been working on a few other things i actually did another podcast don't hate me what um, but i was a i know i know i was um, invited to go on a podcast called anthems which is myself and uh, amazing lineup of other lgbtq plus writers and voices and to celebrate pride month we're each writing and performing a piece that reflects our different um, experiences as queer people and my episode came out on the 1st of June and it's kind of about the moment that you put away a side of yourself um, that you maybe were exploring when you were younger kind of wild side of yourself and you uh, become a parent or you you change your life expectations and it's kind of reconciling those two different parts of yourself um, and figuring out who you are as a parent and what happens to that more wild side of you when you do have these kind of responsibilities so it's kind of a piece of spoken word poetry writing and I'd love it if you wanted to listen to it it's called Anthem's Pride and it's on wherever you get your podcast well that's so exciting I'm going to be downloading it for my listening pleasure for sure oh thanks yeah let me know it's definitely like the most personal and creative piece of writing I've ever done but talking of creative writing we have an amazing guest on our show today who is is just that Yes, LGBTQ plus activist. He's a filmmaker and he's a bloody Oscar winner. It is Dustin Lance Black. So Dustin is the proud father of two-year-old Robbie Ray with his husband, Tom Daly, who you may have heard of. He's like some sort of athlete or something. I think mm, just yeah, I think I've heard of him. Something <laughs> with a pool. So we spoke to Dustin about the surrogacy story that him and Tom have gone on and the differences between the UK and the US, how they approach their parenting styles and how they've changed as parents. And it was really inspiring speaking to Dustin and hearing his views on LGBTQ plus and queer people in general. Yeah, we hope you enjoy the interview and we'll catch you on the other side. Dustin Lance Black, welcome to Some Families. Thank you for joining us. You are an Oscar winner, which as someone myself who works in the film industry, always blows my mind when I get to speak to somebody who has taken one of those golden statues. And in your Oscar speech, you mentioned that getting married would one day be an absolute dream for you. How much of the dream of having children was part of that as well? Oh, that that went hand in hand with it. Honestly, I grew up Mormon. So, you know, in the Mormon faith, you're usually married in your early 20s. And by 30, you probably have, you know, a handful of kids, maybe even nearing a dozen. And so this is the world I was raised in. And there are many things about being Mormon that I didn't appreciate. But the family part of it really felt true to me. And so I've always seen, even in the time that I was fighting for marriage equality, in the United States, I've always seen a connection between having children and the, and the real need, the legal need for marriage. So the two are inextricably tied. I think marriage is a wonderful commitment and promise to make to someone before you have children or when you have children, because it does bring a certain security. That promise brings a security. And I think that's important for the kids. So was it important then that you spoke to people that you were dating quite early on? 
about the fact that you wanted to have kids and did that ever kind of break up a relationship for you because you just weren't on the same page with it? Absolutely. It was always a part of the conversation. And it was one that when I was in my early 20s and dating, it just seemed like an impossibility for for gay people. So if I brought it up, people would be baffled. They'd be curious how that was even possible. There weren't a whole lot of examples of it yet. And and so, you know, I think I think some thought that I was just a dreamer. And, and I sort of believe perhaps that was the case as well. And, and in terms of breakups, yes, there was uh, at least one serious relationship I was in. And every time the conversation turned to family, uh, this person would get quite upset and insistent that was not something that they wanted. And so at the end, uh, I mean, you listen, these relationships, you have to align at least on the big issues. I mean, I think difference is amazing in a relationship. I think it actually keeps it alive and, and growing. But when it comes to kids, it's one of those things you should agree on. And then, I, and then I met Tom. And on our first date, which was like two and a half months after we'd met, because we, were, we had a, an ocean and a continent between us, when we were finally face-to-face again and taking this beautiful bike ride down in um, southern England, Early on in that bike ride, the idea of a family came up, and I wasn't leading the conversation, he was. And not only did we both discover we really wanted a family, but we we broke another, if not all, of the first date rules and began naming our children on that bike ride. And in fact, our first son has the name that we chose on that day, on our first date. Really? Yeah. It's, It's a meaningful name in Tom's family. It's a tradition in his family. Robert is a name that, that, that is either your middle name or your first name for the firstborn. So you and Tom, you've had the first day, you've named your first child. When did you actually start the process and what were the avenues you kind of explored at that time? So I think we both wanted to be married before we started to build a family. And so that we were married three years ago. We had set the date And frankly, once the date was set, we started really seriously taking steps to build our family. And, you know, it's not as easy for gay guys as it is for my straight brother. You know, you can't just get a cheap bottle of wine and a Mm -hmm. pizza and have a good night. (laughs) There's a lot of considerations. We did consider a, a couple of options, you know. Gay people have adoption as an option, surrogacy as an option, and we considered both. What was the ultimate decider for you then? I think one was Tom and I had both lost our parent fairly recently still. And he'd lost his father. I'd lost my mother and my big brother, who was also like a parent to me. And there was just a part of us that yearned for that biological connection to our children. That's something that would reach in both directions from past and into the future to connect our parents to our children. We wanted that, and it felt meaningful to us. We started to explore surrogacy, ask questions. One of the things that influenced my decision around adoption was having watched a couple of my dear gay friends, close gay friends, uh, try to adopt. And some of the laws, though I, I think they're good laws in the United States and certain states, can be 
used against gay people to take those children back by family members. And I'd watched that happen three times with two of my friends, and I saw the heartbreak after they adopted a child, began to raise the child, and after a number of weeks or months had that child taken away because someone in the child's biological family found out that a gay person was going to raise that child, and and legally in some states they can take the child back. I admit that I was not prepared to do that, to go through that. I will also, on your podcast, say right now, as we continue to build our family, I will be prepared to do that in the future. That adoption is still very much an option. And in fact, I encourage people to embrace it as an option. And the laws in the United Kingdom are far better than many of the states in the United States when it comes to gay people adopting children. Yeah, because it's crazy. I'm an adoptive uh, father of three. And the birth family can have says over certain things, but only if they're actually proving a case that they're able to take back and look after the child and give the child the best care it possibly can. And being gay or your sexuality would not factor into that into the UK. It would be for other reasons that they would be wanting to take the children back and they would have to have a very strong case to prove that they were the right caregivers for that child. And and there are states in the United States that are like that. It, I actually think it's a... It's a decent law that I'm not sure what the fix is, um, but that if someone in the biological family of this child that's been put up for adoption raises their hand and says, let's keep this child within our family and I will raise him or her, they can take that child back from the adoptive parents. I I see the value in that, Um, though I've also seen it hurt my friends. The problem is that too often what these, you know, answer or brothers uh, or cousins uh, find out is that the the adoptive parents are queer and that child is taken back for that reason. But isn't then that an insane loophole in it all that that is the reason that they want to take the child back? I just find the whole, it's crazy. And I can't imagine how heartbreaking that is. It was quite heartbreaking, quite heartbreaking. But, you know, it's uh, there. whenever I hear that LGBTQ rights are settled and acceptance is here. I go, ah, we still have a lot of work to do. So just back to your personal journey then, Uh, you had that conversation with Tom and it sounded like you were both really clear, you've chosen the names, you've decided that surrogacy was the way to go for the reasons that you so beautifully describe. Was there a conversation that is kind of comparable to the conversation that myself and my wife had of who is going to be the biological parent and who is going to be the other parent? Or was that something that you both just kind of knew straight away? No, we, so it was a long process, by the way. So even with surrogacy, it was not something that we just jumped into. Because though in California, it's, I think, more common than other places in the world, we needed to make sure that it also didn't have its own pitfalls. And come to find out there there are a minefield of problems that can arise in the absence of good law. Would I do surrogacy in the United Kingdom? No. Not yet. Not until there's solid law. Because solid law not only protects this child that you're going to care for, but also the surrogate and the intended parents. And there's an absence, a dearth of that here still today in the United Kingdom. In California, we felt comfortable that the laws were in place uh, that would protect all parties. And I'm of the opinion that good, strong, clear law creates good, strong, clear behavior. And 
in that way, and after talking to many friends who had gone through surrogacy, it sounded like the most familial way to do it, including this relationship we would then build with our surrogate, which is a misconception that these are people who are simply vessels, and that's absolutely not the case. We did decide to move ahead, and there were many, many options. One of them was that both Tom and I donated our sperm, right? We then have an egg donor, and we asked our doctor to create these embryos with using both of our sperm and to, and to do the IVF with our surrogate of two embryos, uh, one of each, and let nature decide. I mean, here's the thing. Straight people don't get to decide all these things. You know, why, you know, we don't need to play God in that way. And and so we just let nature do its thing. And here we are. And for those curious, uh, no, we haven't asked. Our doctor is the only person who knows. This is a whole new learning curve for me, which is why I love doing this podcast. So could there, could there have been a possibility where if you had done two embryos that had had both of your sperm, could there have been an outcome where it could have possibly been twins? Yes, that was what we were hoping for. How beautiful would that be? I mean, without getting too personal, there was uh, a a bit of heartbreak when we found out it was only one. You know, it's an 80% chance that any embryo that is transferred will turn into a pregnancy. 80%. That's how good it's become. So with two, you have a 60% chance that both will take, right, if you're doing the math. So chances were we were going to have twins, and it just didn't work out like that. That's not what was meant to be. And presumably now you just feel like this was always what was meant to be, and your family has just become the thing it was always going to be, in a sense? Yeah, I mean, that's welcome to nature. You you know, uh, it's... uh, we had to to you know roll with what life gave us with within days it just became our path this is what we were on and we knew it was a boy early on we got on with building a family and that moment when you first hold your child in your arms it feels like this is what was meant to be there's no you're not thinking about what your hopes might have been there's something more miraculous than any of your hopes sitting right there in your arms. You know what I'm talking about. And so that's, you know, that's where we've been. What are your, what are your roles now as, as fathers? Do you kind of see a difference in the, the kind of vibe that you each have as parents? Yeah, but it's shocking, isn't it? Because it's completely different than what I thought. Mm, same, yeah. Uh, I'm right. I, I thought... You know, I was going to have these clear sets of rules and we were going to lay them down and, you know, we're going to have some structure. And I thought, well, and Tom, who is just so good at like having fun and much more of a free spirit than I am. And all of a sudden there's this child and Tom is laying down the rules and you're seeing this kind of the athlete side of Tom come out and helping create these boundaries, helping I mean, also just literally cooking all the food so that it's all healthy food, scheduling when things are going to happen, what's going to be eaten, when bedtime is, when morning time is. And, you know, he's frankly, you also watch how 
um, a child loves those boundaries, loves mm-hmm. the, loves to have that sort of regular schedule. And Tom has been fantastic with that stuff. Whereas I'm realizing I'm a flaky artist. <laughs> And I forget to eat even when I'm hungry. And I'm realizing that, you know, I could probably use some structure in my life as well. Uh, And so I've somehow become the weepy, sensitive, cuddly, (laughs) letting him get away with this or that. And I never, ever, ever thought that's how I'd be. It's certainly not how I run my film sets. Um, But we also take turns. And as any parent knows... There's sort of a, it's like a pendulum. Who's the favored parent today or this hour or this minute? And who's getting the cuddles and who's being told to go away? (laughs) I'm glad that's not just me. (laughs) (laughs) Getting told to go away. I was home with him all this entire first year. And I thought, well, I'm definitely going to be the favorite parent. I'm definitely going to have the closer connection and bond. No, 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 no. I'm that extra arm to go get the things he wants. And Papa comes home from diving practice and is the favorite, is the treasure. He wants Papa's cuddles and he wants Daddy to go away now. I was having that just today, Mm. (laughs) just before I came up here. I think it happens to all of us. It's so true. Now in lockdown, I'm writing because I'm very, I'm busy now. And so I'm not seeing him every moment of every day. In fact, he's with Tom every moment of every day right now and does... Tom's exercise routines with him, which is just the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life. And so I come up and now all of a sudden I'm the special one. It's very nice. Nice. How are you balancing the structure as you're actually in your home? I'm not good at being strict. I've learned that about myself and maybe I should get better. The one place I've gotten, you know, learned that it's beneficial to everyone to be strict is bedtime. Bedtime, sleep training, that makes everyone, including him, happier. If and when... He comes downstairs in my office and I hear him screaming, daddy, 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 daddy. Like I stop. You got to stop. I stop working. I mean, that's just how it is. He's he's almost two. He'll be two soon. He's the cutest kid on the entire planet Earth. I'm sorry, you guys. He just is. And um, and so, I, you know, you don't you don't say no. And we have a, a little I have a, a whiteboard, a dry erase board, whatever you call it, uh, with markers next to my desk. And um. And he just loves to come over and open the markers and draw and draw and draw. And nowadays he wants me to write the alphabet um, and and we'll name them together. I mean, you know, these. so we sit and play and, and he learns how to be a little writer while I avoid my writing. <laughs> nice. Um, so sorry to be jumping around a bit, but just to go back to finding your surrogate and then that whole process and the birth, if we could just jump straight into talking about how you, after building a relationship with this incredible woman, what the birth was like for you guys. I mean, you do build a relationship and that's, I think, the most critical part of this. And so, in fact, just to to back it up even a little bit further, just for those who don't know, the way surrogacy works, at least in California, I think it ought to work this way everywhere, is that the the intended parents, so in this case, me and Tom, we, we filled out these very in-depth questionnaires and had to write essays about ourselves and then each other. It was like this amazing kind of like couples therapy. And then you, with photographs and all of this information, you submit it where it will be in, you know, this kind of archive that surrogates can look through. And the surrogates choose you, not the other way around. 
And, and, I, and I think that's how it ought to be. And it takes a long time. It's not going to happen overnight. We got the call that a surrogate was interested in meeting with us. And, you know, of course, we got excited and nervous and we made a lunch date and she brought her entire family on the lunch date and we showed up and, you know, we just started to talk. And it was very clear, very quickly, we loved her. I mean, not just because she was going to do this incredible thing for us and build our family, but she's also just awesome. She was hilarious. And I can't give too many details because she's asked to be, uh, well, to not be in the public eye with this. And and that meant that throughout the entire process, throughout the next year, because it's not just nine months. I mean, there's all that has to happen to get ready for a transfer and then the transfer. And hopefully it succeeds the first time. If not, there might be more attempts. And, you know, and then you finally... And by the way, then it's constant communication and visits during the pregnancy, which, you know, even though we lived so far apart, I, Tom and I are in London. Uh, she was, this happened in California. We would still fly all the time out there to see her and, and her family, who we also fell for. And, and so when the day came for the birth, we'd already talked about everything. We already had, following her lead, made the decisions of who would be in the room and who wouldn't be in the room. That was all led by her and decided ahead of time. It's also some of the things you put on your application early on so that if there's a surrogate who has an objection to the intended parents being in the room, there won't be a match. So we'd already said, we want to be there. She was fine with that. And there were other people she wanted in the room there too, which was fine by us. I, I, just to protect her privacy, I won't go into too many of the details, but it was an uneventful birth in terms of no, meaning no complications. And it's just, I mean, we love her. I'll get emotional talking about it. So, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting there and it's all happening. And before you know it, there is a, a little tiny baby and he cries out for the first time and I get to I cut the cord and he's handed to Tom because we've made the decision that that's how we wanted it to happen and Tom has the skin to skin cuddling moment and um, I I think that we put a, a photo on our Instagram at some point of that and there's our surrogate and um, you know we're just we said thank you and I think she gave us a thumbs up. <laughs> there were a lot of tears and holy crap, what have we done? You know, all of that, all of that. Your life changes. It's over, baby. Yeah. That that life you knew is over. And some a brand new adventure has begun. And it doesn't matter how much preparation you've done or reading you've done. This is an absolutely unique journey you're about to be on, and you may as well throw at least most of the instruction manuals away, because the only one that matters is in your arms. So when it hmm. comes to the legalities, I'm interested in the difference between the US and the UK, because and it's something you talked about earlier on, but in the UK, it's my understanding that the intended parents are not the legal guardians at the moment of birth, and it's the it's the birth parents who who have the legal guardianship. Is it the same in California in the states, or does it differ? No, 
It's absolutely different. So first of all, the major difference is that contracts between surrogates and intended parents in California and many other states. I'm just using California as an example because it's where we were. Contracts are recognized and upheld in courts of law. In the United Kingdom, those contracts, if they're made, are worthless. They are not recognized in a court of law. So in the United Kingdom, any surrogacy journey is based solely on trust. And as beautiful as that sounds, it can create insecurity. And I don't think that the insecurity of a surrogate being worried that perhaps the intended parents will decide, you know what, I don't want this child, that causes anxiety. I don't think anxiety is a great place to build any relationship. And the best version, as far as I'm concerned, of surrogacy is a relationship. So I much prefer to be in a place where you make all of the decisions ahead of time, you sign the contracts that codify it into law so that it's enforceable, and then you don't have to worry about it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Then you can just get on with the business of making friends, getting close, and building a family. So that that's that is the the big difference as far as I'm concerned. Because of that, in the United States, there is something called a pre-birth order. So once all those contracts are done and there is a, a pregnancy, you can get a pre-birth order so that the birth certificate from minute one has the names of the intended parents who will raise this child. I think, and I'm not alone here, that it becomes absurd here in the United Kingdom because, like you just said, the birth certificate is going to have the name of the surrogate and her husband on it. Most surrogacies are with an egg donor. So the surrogate does not have a biological connection to the child. And now she and her husband, who really had very little to nothing to do with this, are legally responsible to raise that child in the United Kingdom. And again, it's just trust until Mm. the long and expensive process of getting the courts in the United Kingdom to recognize the intended parents as parents 
uh, is over. You have to rely on trust, meaning if that child gets sick, I guess you could walk into a doctor's office, and if that doctor is homophobic or doesn't get it, they could insist that only the surrogate and her husband make medical decisions for that child. That's a, it's pretty absurd. It's pretty absurd. It also is, I think, anti-family and has a whiff of homophobia about it that I can't abide by. I will say we did have to go through that process once we came back to the United Kingdom. They did not recognize our birth certificate from the United States. And though our surrogate has no biological relation to our child, the courts here recognized our surrogate's husband as a father and not us. And we Uh had to go through that legal process here, which was very expensive and time-consuming. But bless the judge in our case when she recognized in her courtroom that it's a little bit absurd. That meant a lot to me, actually, in that hearing. Yeah, I bet. And then is your surrogate also your egg donor as well? No. No, that's not, you know, that's something I learned while doing my own podcast is still something that happens here in the United Kingdom. They call it a traditional surrogacy where the surrogate, well, it's not really, you know, it, I guess is the egg donor. That's not something that doctors uh, feel comfortable with in California and the United States. And I can understand why. And I'm sure people will be mad at me for saying this. But at that point, to me, that's an adoption. That's a different process. And if the, if the surrogate is fine with that, bless her. But to me, that feels very complicated because that surrogate is the biological mother of that child. And would it be important to you to use the same surrogate and the same donor where you to have a second child? Sounds like a good idea to me. But that's not up to me. You know, That's up to the surrogate and the egg donor. Do you maintain a relationship with the egg donor as well? So that's an interesting thing. That's one place where I think the United Kingdom really gets it right, which is that in the United Kingdom, egg donors are not anonymous, that the child has a right to know who their egg donor was. I, I, I'm of the opinion, and again, this is just my opinion, that any time we keep something secret, shame starts to creep in. Uh, and I don't like that. And I don't want our son to have any shame about anything, Not certainly not about the, the glorious, magnificent, magical way he came into this world. But in the United States, most egg donors are anonymous. We did do the work and ask the questions to make sure that ours was not. So, uh, yes, at some point, one day, when we're able to fly about again, hopefully they'll get to meet. But again, that's up to our egg donor. It's not up to us. We have a character on our podcast called Aunt Sally, who is just the worst person that you might ever kind of meet or come across. She's that person that just asks you the most inappropriate question about your parenting experience. And maybe it's slightly tinged with homophobia or just ignorance or nosiness. Is there something that you could identify as being a bit of a moment like that for for? Tom and yourself, and how did you deal with it? You run across those ants all the time, all the time. If I, you know, I guess like a a learning moment, I was doing a radio interview for my book, and it was a journalist in, I think, New Zealand. And at some point, she just began to press, well, who's the real father? Who's the real dad? Which one is, is it you or Tom? Who's the real father? And I thought, God, and, and not only did I think it, I said it, I said, is that, is that a question that you ask adoptive parents? Do you ask them that? Do you look them in the eye and say, well, 
come on, buddy, who's the real parent? And I thought that was disgusting. And she didn't have a, a good answer for it, except that it became clear around their edges, whether she was aware of it or not, that there was something she didn't consider real about gay parents. And she was looking for a way to, like, express that, to give voice to that. And that was the question she asked. I told her it's an absurd question because here we both are exhausted in that first year doing our very best doing everything a parent should do I think to the best of our ability and here comes this New Zealand journalist and I put that in quotes who wants to take that away from one of us yeah. who knew that Aunt Sally had a journalistic career I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. In New Zealand yeah she gets around <laughs> But there's been many other. I mean, listen, I, I've been shocked by the Aunt Sally's. The day we flew back from the United States with our son, the Daily Mail had a headline that said, gay dads are not the new normal with our picture. Thanks, Aunt Sally. I, you know, but that sort of thing, I, I think that sort of a moment is a great opportunity just to do your thing, and it's a great educational moment for the world. So yeah. actually, that didn't upset me that much, I gotta, I, I'll admit. On the point of the press and, and social media and that as well, obviously you keep all imagery of Robbie private and you don't show his face, etc., which I feel that I can completely relate to as an adoptive father for both personal and also security reasons. Was that a conversation that you and Tom had at an early point when you made that very clear decision to do that? And and also, are you concerned for the future as well in terms of being in the public image and and keeping, keeping Robbie private? First time we saw his cute little face and we thought, if we share this with the world, it's going to hurt the feelings of every parent out there. So we just we're just withholding. No, you know, it's a it's too bad. We live in a time and a place where paparazzi feel like it's okay to chase children. And well, it is at its worst here in the United Kingdom, a country I love. It's home, but we certainly have had men with cameras parked outside of our home. They've chased us with our child, and by not showing his face, it makes it so that they can't sell those photos. If we don't share, they can't share, thankfully. And so it's it's helped keep that kind of harassment down. And, you know, we just don't want our son to feel frightened when he goes outside. And sometimes paparazzi, not all of them, some of them I know and I like, but sometimes they can be very frightening and invasive. And we just don't want that. And so we've made this decision. And um, I'm really glad that people get it. Uh, also, you know, it's 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 up to him. I think the day will probably come where he's like, hey, why am I not on your Instagram? When do I get my own? And, you know, that's going to be his choice. But for now, you know, we do our best to protect our our, our little ones. And, and, and that's the choice we've made. And I wanted to ask you about your on activism as well, because you've been such an important storyteller for queer stories. There's been certain conversations recently that I've noticed amongst LGBT groups about, I suppose, about normalising and actually how we should just be fitting into society and especially as parents being, you know, as normal as it can get really being, being parents. I suppose what I want to ask you is you know, because I fully agree with your message that we need to honour those that have walked for us and share the history and because our history has been so 
neutered, as it were. So what would be your advice to other gay parents out there to honour and support other queers around them and their prior history? Well, there's a lot to dissect in there. I, you know, first of all, I hope I'm not normal. I think normal is so boring. I don't even know. I don't know that I know a single normal person. What the hell is normal? We're all different. So where are these people who are the same as each other? I don't know where they are. And I know a lot of like, you know, white, middle-aged, heterosexual folks with kids. And they're not normal. Whatever that is. In terms of becoming heteronormative, it shouldn't be forced upon anyone to get married and have kids. We didn't fight for marriage equality because we thought that all gay people should go get married. Absolutely not. Do your thing. Let your gorgeous, sparkling, very, very different flag fly. There are some of us who really want to raise kids. It's really compelling that the idea of gay parents is now quote-unquote normal. Holy cow, it wasn't when I was growing up. Don't tell that to the Mormon prophet. But, you know, there are those of us who really have a desire to raise kids and to have families. And for those people, I'm very, very glad that we fought so hard for marriage equality so that our relationship and our families are protected and respected equally with our straight brothers and sisters. That's why we have it. It does not mean everyone should do it. This whole heteronormative thing, I I just say, well, you know, just like everything else in the world, we're on a spectrum. And some people and their families might look a little bit more like the ones you grew up around, and some might look incredibly different. And, you know enjoy it. What a gift. We've got all this variety. But dear married gay parents with kids, you are not allowed to disparage other fabulous queers who just want to be single and have a good goddamn time in life. And the other way around. In terms of our history, I agree with you that it our history, LGBTQ plus history, has been buried in shame and fear for a very, very, very long time. And and honestly, for good reason. If you wrote a gay film or a book and tried to lift up queer voices 30, 40 years ago, where I'm from, you would be a criminal. You could be put in jail, declared mentally ill, and you most certainly were going to hell according to most churches. Those are Those are compelling reasons to not write down and record that history. And it's only really recently that we've seen our histories beginning to be told in a popularized, easily accessible fashion. We're we're nowhere near the place we need to be, where we have fully reconstructed our history, rewritten the history books that are missing, making the films that we need, that help introduce us to our forefathers and our foremothers who fought for our lives before we were even born. You know, yeah, I did I did Milk and When We Rise and Pedro. Those are tiny, tiny little chips in what needs to become a massive mosaic. And that mosaic has to be built of every gender and color and kind to be accurate. It's going to take a lot of work. And why is that important to me as a gay dad? Because I want our son to be proud of his gay dads. I want him to know where he fits in history. I want him to be proud of it. I don't want him asking around like, well, where are all the people like you, dad and papa? And to feel like somehow maybe 
we're hidden because there's, there's a reason for shame? No, 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 no. I want the children of gay and lesbian parents to be able to share our proud histories with our children. It will lift them up. There's a, there's a quote that you've shared before, which I love, which is that gender shall not determine destiny. And I was just yeah. curious about how we should be embracing non-stereotypical gender within our parenting. And, and, how do you, and how do you try and put that quote into your parenting with Robbie? He decides. I mean, first of all, they decide. I was raised, uh, as Harvey Milk would say, by fiercely heterosexual parents. Yet here I am. Whatever they were trying to teach me didn't work. And the same is going to the same goes for all our kids. You know, they it's it's I'm learning this, but you take your cues from them. What are they like? What I'm not going to do is shame them if they're attracted to a pink T-shirt over a blue T-shirt. Because that's silly. I, you know, you just, you just, I don't want to limit possibilities. And it really just comes down to that. And, you know, yes, I think in a big way, the women's rights movement and the, and the LGBT movement are, are linked with that idea that gender ought not determine destiny. And I think our gay brothers need to stand up for women more, understanding that connection. When it comes to parenting, it just means not setting these bizarre limits based on these constructs that are completely unnatural. You know, it's funny because you look at these stereotypes like the color pink and if you don't have to go back very far and pink was a very noble men's color. So it's uh, it's just it's just stupid. We are coming out with this podcast on UK Father's Day. Oh. How will you guys be celebrating Father's Day? Does one of you get more attention than the other? Do you do what my wife and I do, where we both just force our daughter to make us cards and have a big celebration? I got really, really lucky marrying Tom. Dream come true. What I didn't know was the secret little surprise, which was I also won the best mother-in-law on the planet Earth. She's fantastic. In fact, she's been isolating with us here. She, last year, uh, and I would guess this year, will put together something quite spectacular with little hand-painted cards to wish Daddy and Papa happy Father's Day. I I don't want to spoil the surprise, so I'll say it quietly because she's just in the other room. Uh, But I'm going to guess that's what's going to happen until he can do it on his own. Or until he decides, I don't want to give those jerks anything. Um, <laughs> she will probably take the steering wheel come Father's Day. As well, Pride this month, very different Pride. What will you, Tom and Robbie, do to, to mark it? I mean, here, I, I actually think it's really, and it's a great question. And it's a really important one right now, particularly for LGBT youth around the world. So this Pride season, I want people to remember that what it was like to be in the closet or what it was like to be with people who didn't understand who you were, didn't know who you are, or even aggressively didn't accept it. And know that so many, more than most years, LGBTQ people are in that position right now and are locked down with families who they're not out to, who they can't be open with, and in some situations who are being openly antagonistic and abusive towards them because of uh, who they are. So because of that, I think this is one of the more important pride seasons 
And we have to do more than what we might have done in previous years, which is to show up to rallies and have a drink and put on our sparkly gear and maybe give a speech. Now I think it is our responsibility to use whatever platforms we have to get the word out there that pride is alive and that when this passes, and it will pass, there are people out there who will love you and will accept you and will embrace you for who you are, that it will get better. So we're going to do everything we can to be on Zooms and Skypes and making little videos as much as we possibly can just to let people know that pride is alive. Some families have a dad, a papa, and a two-year-old little boy. Wow, what an amazing orator and all-around incredibly intelligent and articulate man. I feel so inspired. One of the things I found most interesting and that I hadn't read about before in my research about uh, Dustin and Tom and their pregnancy journey was that they were kind of hoping for twins from both of their sperm. I mean, what an incredible amazing miracle that would have been had that happened obviously it still is a, an incredible miracle that they have one child but to have twins and to both be the biological father of one of them yeah it's quite mind-blowing isn't it if you think about it and I don't think I've ever come across anybody I know a lot of people that have had twins through fertility support but I'd never thought about it in terms of having one of each biologically, which is, like you say, fascinating and mind-blowing. What was your main takeaway, Stu, from our talk with Dustin Lance Black? I think you should say I'm really pumped for Pride and and being in lockdown and being in Pride Month, it's exactly as Dustin says, it's so important and it's so important that we be there as a community together. There is so much that divides our community sometimes that... Pride Month is about coming together. And even though we can't come together physically, we all need to come together on an emotional and support level for one another. And maybe take the opportunity to just talk to our kids in some way about what it means and use this as an opportunity to broach some of the conversations about some families that maybe you might be having. Oh, my, my daughter said the funniest thing um, yesterday because I've been talking to her about it since doing the show. And she said, some daddies have two mummies. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that was brilliant. That's beautiful. Oh, I love I that. Know. Thank you for joining me in that wonderful chat with Dustin, Lottie. And I wish you another week of happiness and love and all things Pride. Oh, thank you, Stu. Same to you. Have a great Pride week with your family. Bye, everyone. Bye now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.